Thanks, everyone who served already this evening. <laughs> Want the wobbles? No. 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 Capo. Excellent. So encouraging to hear everyone who's heard. Uh, we've heard from already Amy, Claire, uh, Marley sharing, even uh, Josh just now. Thank you so much. So enriching to each of us. Last night I said, I'll let sound guys do what needs to happen. I'll just keep talking. But last night I did say a special welcome to the international students amongst us. And tonight I want to say a special welcome to the online students and friends amongst us. Even some family, perhaps. I think my wife and kids are watching. And um, uh, that they are genuinely involved in this ministry and our fellowship, even though you may not have met them. They're enabling uh, me to be here. Um, so we want to make sure you're welcome and we're remembering you, um, brothers and sisters who are with us. Please keep Luke chapter 15 open. We're continuing in Luke. And it's so uh, wonderful to also have our friends who are out of the Clairvaux rooms with us. Praise God. Let's pray. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you so much for how you've blessed us so richly already in this past day of yesterday yesterday evening and today for our getting to know you more in your word and one another as we meet face to face and look forward uh, to the return of Christ. So give us hearts and minds to receive your word now as we hear it and we pray your word will do its powerful work in us that we will know you and know you such that we can trust you with our whole being, now and into eternity. Help me to speak what's true from your word, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I wake up early in the morning, and I'm texting you. Well, that's okay. I'm ready to fight crime with you. We sometimes fight, but we always make up. We're not related. But here's the good news. Friends are the family you can choose. You're my best friend, my best friend. And friends are family. You're my best friend, my best friend. And friends are family. Okay, I'll stop. Of course, from the enduring 2017 film, The Lego Batman Movie. Not quite the heights of How to Train Your Dragon, but fun. Maybe part of the recent renaissance of Batman films. Batman is, of course, an orphan. And Alfred, his loyal butler, is the closest thing he has to family. True of real-life Batman and Lego Batman. But through the movie comes another orphan, Dick Grayson, he adopts, and Barbara, his friend, who helps him. And these... These friends become family. Oh. But are friends family? As the saying goes, you can choose your friends, 
but you can't choose your family. Family can be hard. Friends, not so much because of the choice. The family unit, you could say, is eroding today. So friendships fill a crucial void. It could even be argued biblically from the Proverbs. When I was a child in the 80s, TV consisted of family comedy. <clears throat> Full House, Fresh Prince, Family Ties and Family Matters. I think they all had to start with F. And of course, our show's very different today, aren't they? Friends are family. But is it right? Is it right biblically, theologically? It's a good thing when it comes to the family of God that it is not true because of your choice first. If it were up to your choice first, we'd all be in great trouble. Last night we heard we're made in the image of God for relationship. And COVID lockdowns made that clear for us all at the same time, we're not made for ISO. But more than just that horizontal relationship only that all of us learned well and truly, we're made for relationship with God. If only we'd hear his voice as he speaks, and we have it in the scriptures written. And tonight we're looking at actually two parables in Luke. And why parables? Well, actually they draw us in by their relationships. My working definition, not perfect, last night was that a parable is a short story from everyday life with relatable characters and a hidden meaning about God and his kingdom. So there is that everyday, horizontal, but the vertical. And as usual, we're going to be doing our Bible flicking, so be ready, and there's question time later on tonight as an option. Point number one. An inheritance taken early and far away. We're going to be learning lots of good Bible reading skills at MYC, both by being taught skills, and some of them you'll be caught, that just the culture, they'll be caught. But a big one is, of course, context. Bible reading skill of context. What comes before and after a text helps us understand the text. And so what comes before? Well, if you come back to chapter 15, verses 1 to 3, with Luke 15, verses 1 to 3. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, near to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. You see there, he eats with sinners, say the Jewish leaders. So he teaches a parable, firstly about lost sheep, and then a lost coin, which is the context. Lost things in response to this issue of him eating with sinners, lost people. So with that in mind, verse 11 continues. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger, of, uh, the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. The younger son asks for his inheritance. Now that might not actually seem that weird to us. For today, boomers have property wealth. They are asset rich. 
and young adults may never be able to buy a home unless they ask for some help, some equity early, the bank of mum and dad, as it's been called. But that's not what's going on here. In fact, under God's law in the Old Testament, all of God's people would have been provided for amongst his people in the year of Jubilee in Leviticus 25. But what's going on here is a ending of relationship by a son to his father. We might make it sound a bit prettier, like estrangement, but it's not just by a drifting apart. This is a definite clean cut a death wish, you could say. Give me the property. Now, an inheritance, of course, implies a death, doesn't it? But whose death? Clue? It's not the father. Chapter 15, verse 13. Look with me. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country and there he squandered his property in reckless living. Gone. All of it gone. His inheritance wasted on sex, drugs, rock and roll, alcohol. Gone. In 2020, the Australian government gave Australians the right to withdraw their superannuation early. And Aussies did do it. Perhaps some of us here have done it. That's okay. But interestingly, what it was spent on was not its original intent. Pizza, alcohol, online betting, plastic surgery. It was meant for essential items, not so much lifestyle items. Now, it wasn't everyone, but it was a lot. And that money Yes, their own money for the future, gone. They say it's the most expensive pizza with the, you know, perpetuity of money value spent ever. But this son wasted his father's money. Who's died? Well, the word translated reckless or wild living is literally like not saved from death or not brought out safely. Very literally, that's what it means. Wild, re reckless living, the opposite of saved. That is, it's deathly living that is going on about. Dangerous, wild living. Who has died? This son. As the father says in verse 24, my son was dead. Verse 32, the brother of yours, dead. And if I asked you, all of you in this room, to imagine this son's reckless living, I don't think it's hard for you, is it? This son is like a poster child for authenticity today, isn't it? Insta-influences. <laughs> or even, if you'll excuse me, the flip you rich, such filthy wealth that you can just say, flip you to everyone you meet because of your money. But that is death, friends. That way is death. But I wonder if it's the lifestyle you want. 
perhaps you're living it now or aspiring, moving towards it now, envying that party life, UOW is a champion of it. It's even shown in that seed we saw last night in Luke 8, the word that fell amongst thorns. But we're going to see a man named Asaph who wrote about it in the Psalms. So if you come back with me in the Old Testament, Psalm 73. Psalm 73 and verse 1. So almost in the middle of your Bible. But just ask the person next to you. Help me find the Psalms if you want to find it. If you don't know their name, ask them their name. Where are you? Help me find the Psalms. I'm still getting there. Psalm 73. <coughs> Psalm 73. Thanks, Max. Psalm 73, verses 1 to 9. A psalm of Asaph. Truly God is good to Israel to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped. Why? For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pains until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongues struts through the earth. Come down to verse 13. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. The Bible's a very honest book, isn't it? He envies the prosperity of the wicked. And he's not championing it. He's being honest. But friends, this way is lost and dead. As Jesus says in Luke chapter 9, verse 25. You can make your way back to Luke 9. Or Luke's gospel, but Luke 9 and verse 25. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself. Last night, if you remember, the poor man Lazarus had a list of troubles that just seemed to keep going. Even the dogs licked his sores. And it's the same now for this lost son in Luke 15. He's already broke, and it just gets worse for him. Look at verse 14 onwards. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that, that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Longing to be fed are the exact same words for Lazarus as Chapter 16, verse 21, we saw last night, longing to be fed from the table. And notice where he is in verse 13. He's in a far country, sent out by his boss, his foreign boss, verse 15, to feed the pigs, longing for their food. Dead in sin, 
far gone, away from Israel, living this pagan life, non, without Jews, working for foreigners with unclean animals according to the Jewish law. He's gone from rich to poor, living large to having nothing, from parties to having no one. He's hit rock bottom, absolute rock bottom. I wonder if you've ever come close to this. Some of you have. Sadly, it was the case for many international students who came here in the height of the pandemic at the start of 2020 and onwards. And instead of a famine as such in Australia, the pandemic across the world meant families back home, parents back home couldn't send money to their children studying here. And so the children start going into very difficult work, international students at night, to support themselves in their study. I've seen friends who've hit rock bottom, friends who've actually sat where you're sitting now, not so long ago. Now, I've not come close to this at all myself. The closest thing, perhaps, and this is pathetic, is uh, having nowhere to sleep for a night or two as I was travelling in different places, once in London or another part of Europe, and to sleep in a train station or an internet cafe. That's right, you're stunned. There once was a time where there were such things as internet cafes. <laughs> what horrible places. <laughs> but on the other hand, we actually are all exactly like this rock bottom. And the Apostle Paul writes of us Gentiles in this situation. Come to me, come with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom... We all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Do you see it there? Dead in sin in which you once walked. The living dead, just like this lost son. What is it for you? Is it in the similar wild living of drunkenness or sexual activity outside of marriage between a husband and wife. Or maybe it's the less wild living but equally destructive of lying habitually, cheating, stealing, manipulating for your gain and others hurt. Because sin hurts relationship. Sin puts yourself first, before God, and before others. Which is actually why drunkenness is wrong for anyone, according to the Bible. 
you lose self-control and so you negatively you deeply affect how we treat others. Same is true for sexual activity outside of God's design for it in marriage. It's self-serving, not God-serving and other, others honouring. Now I am a bit old, but my observation is that too many Christians either don't know or don't care about these things, that drunkenness or sexual immorality is sin. And I think the more concerning is the latter those who do know but don't care. Now don't hear me wrongly and because uh, we know it's how I once thought that Christians are Christians because of their morality. I thought of it all through uni and even beforehand because I didn't know the Lord Jesus, didn't know him in his word, didn't know the gospel. But the same is true that no, no one is Christian by having just a, a part of my life under Jesus' rule, compartmentalised life. He's the Lord of all. Either Jesus is number one or he's not. So hear the warning, friends, this lost son. If, like him, you've taken the good gifts of God, the Father, but cut him off to your own death with a very real judgment to come. I'm going to pause here and I'll get you uh, to actually ask 30 seconds to the person next to you. What is, or it might be you just want to process what we're, we're covering some heavy territory. 30 seconds to jot down a reflection. And I'm actually going to ask sound. I'm actually really distracted by this. So um, if there's anything we can do, I'm just going to get you to 30 seconds for a minute and, um, and we'll, we'll tend to this for a sec. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Ephesians 2, verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles, that's non-Jews, the nations, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. You may be wondering, why call them the uncircumcision? It's all back to Father Abraham in Genesis 17. He was given the sign of circumcision for him and all his male offspring. But for us non-Jews, 
not descended from Abraham in the flesh, we are the uncircumcision without covenants of promise from Abraham, without hope, without God in the world. You don't have God by default. Without God, far away. That's our only birthright as Gentiles, non-Jews. No claim upon God. No claim upon his inheritance. But like this son, also once dead, lost, far away. Where is there to go when you hit rock bottom? Luke 15, verse 17. Come back to Luke 15. We may as well just keep a bookmark in Luke 15. Verse 17. But when he came to himself, this son, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. He asks to be a hired servant. It's like a day labourer. It's not even a slave or a bond servant, verse 23, who was like a part of the family. It's not even a personal attendant servant, like in verse 26. It's the lowest of the three classes of labourer. He's willing to be now the lowest of the low. You could even argue from Deuteronomy 21, 18, he's deserving of death because of his family treatment. He is dead. He's deserving death. He's not worthy to be called a son. But he'll ask to be the lowest servant. Point number two. The father's embrace and joy. Keep going. Verse 20. He arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Wow. Notice again where he is. He's still a long way off and his father sees him. Has he been on the lookout all this time? He sees him obviously without any of those possessions that he gathered up and when he last saw his son and he feels compassion deep concern for this son's plight. And he runs, humiliating for an older man at the time. And an embrace, literally throwing his arms around his neck, collapsing on him and kissed him. Wow. The love of the father. Now, our modern sensitivities, we might say, oh, of course he does. How nice and relational. Let's go back to that analogy of the bank of mum and dad. Imagine a son asks his parents who own their home in full to reverse mortgage now and take out a loan on their family home. And he asks for that money now. 
and he takes it, goes overseas, wastes it in wild living, leaving them in household debt. Hit rock bottom, and then he returns home from his lifestyle to mow the lawns. It would be outrage. You call a current affair on that guy. <laughs> but not this father. His behaviour breaks all protocol. No Middle Eastern father would ever greet or respond to his wicked son this way. Clearly the father isn't even contemplating a death option. But the hired servant option is still on the table. So the son starts with his spiel as his plan. Verse 21. And it, the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this son, this my son, was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. He's not going to be a hired servant. And it's joy for all instead. Because the father has his son back from the dead. This might surprise you, but not everyone likes Hollywood. And it's not just because I think, not just because of the Academy Awards this year and that famous <laughs> slap, Will Smith. No. They say it was broke before then. Some say there are no new stories to tell and all these reboots are just content. It's just content. Well, you could say this story of a lost son back from the dead is nothing new. It has many parallels to another. One of the 12 sons of Jacob, remember Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the grandson of Abraham from that line of promise. Jacob had 12 sons. One was named Joseph. Jacob was a father to a lost son, Joseph. Like this lost son of Luke 15, Joseph was considered dead. Like this son, Joseph went to a far country, Egypt. Like this son, Joseph also had a ring put on his hand and fine clothes put on him. And like this son, this parable, he was received by his father back from the dead. But so what? That's all very nice to know. But so what? These Parallels take us further into the nature of God's family. You see, before he was the father to 12 sons, Jacob was himself a child of mercy, Genesis 25. Like this lost son, Jacob was also a younger son. Younger, actually, by seconds to his older, hairier twin brother, Esau, whose heel he held onto as he was born. Came out. And soon Jacob received a promise from God, like Abraham, his grandfather, of offspring 
numerous as the stars, and land, o, L and O of the blob. But why the younger son blessed and served by his oldest, older brother? Why is the younger getting the blessing? That's not how it works. It's normally the firstborn. Okay, let's turn to Romans chapter 9. We went there last night and we're going there again tonight. Romans chapter 9. Keep your finger in Luke. Romans chapter 9. And we read verses 6 to 9 about Abraham having a child the child of the promise. Let me read from verse 9 onwards. For this is what the promise said, about this time next year I will return, and Sarah shall have a son. Okay, verse 10. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born, and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I hated. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I'll have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I'll have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then, it depends not on human will or exertion, work, but on God who has mercy. I have some discussion questions for you. Four questions from Romans 9, verse 10 to 16, and this is not your ordinary garden variety of discussion question. We're going harder now. It's night two. You know what we're on about. From those texts that we've just read, who chose Jacob? That's possibly the hardest one. So get through that and it's all smooth. When was he chosen? For what good work was Jacob chosen? And why was he chosen? His parents are described there, and I've lost the page. That's all concerning Jacob. Go for it, in your pairs. A minute and a half, maybe more. Remember, 
which verse did that come from? That's a question we always ask. So include the verse as well as your answer. Okay, 10 seconds. Okay, that's time. I'm going to ask for someone from this side of the room. Question number one. Who chose Jacob? God did. And what verse? Well done. Romans 9 verse 11. Oops. Excellent. When was he chosen? Before he and his twin son Esau were yet born. Verse 11. Excellent. On this side, for what good work was Jacob chosen? Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing. Footnote. Wasn't even born. Verse 11. What a fertile verse. And 16, perhaps. And... Anyone, why did God choose Jacob? Because he could. Because he could. In order that his purpose of election might, might continue. Verse 11, I think. <laughs> <laughs> In order that his purpose of election might continue. True. And I heard it somewhere over here too. And because of his mercy, which is what could fit on the screen. Verses 15 and 16. <laughs> But all true, and you show me from the text. Oh, the depth of the riches of God. God, who is rich in mercy. Rich in mercy. See that same mercy in choosing Jacob before he'd done anything, good or bad. Before he was born. Is in this father of Luke 15... God the Father feeling compassion as he welcomes this lost, dead son home. God the Father's character doesn't change. Rich in mercy. What a basis for relationship. What a basis for the family of God. 
God's unchanging mercies. God is not a killjoy. It's the very opposite. You've seen the party. He's rich in mercy. Only in him is true joy found. Do you know this Father's mercy and embrace around your neck and joy? Could tonight be the night you come home to him? Because it's so tragic for anyone to not know this Father's riches as we're about to see. Point number three, a son who knows not, knows not his father's riches. Let's meet this other older son. Verse 25. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my but when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. relationships. They need time and space we're seeing so far. They need time, don't they? Because like we saw yesterday, relationship needs personal conversation, revealing oneself to another. Speaking, listening, and so responding. It's not necessarily easy to do, and we know that. And we've even got an elective coming up on conversation, and I commend it to you on Thursday. It takes time to do this stuff together. And it follows that full relationships need space. Although Zoom is time shared together, it's not space, is it? Closeness. And even the Apostle Paul could write and encourage from prison, but he longed to be face to face. We are bodily creatures by God's good design. And again, we've been taught in recent years, we need personal contact and even the non-verbal communication. But sin hurts relationship. Even if we share that same time and space, we can be so distant, so near, and yet so far. Maybe you've experienced that with a housemate, a friend, a parent, even a spouse. They say the closer the relationship, the more potential for hurt. So near, 
and yet so far. The heavy lockdowns in Victoria, the heaviest in the world until that time, saw a huge spike in divorce inquiries because of the sin that was now so on show in one another. So near in lockdown, and yet so far. For the younger son, that party boy, it lasted days. In verse 13, he asked for his property, and not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey far away. Can you imagine those days? Asked how awkward and distant those days between asking the money and taking off. Now imagine those days turned into years because that's the distance for this older son. Verse 29, these many years I have served you and yet you never gave me. Imagine those years, a father not actually known by his first or older son, so near and yet so far. And did you see where this older son is now spatially? He draws near the house and has to ask a servant. But in anger, he refuses to go in, in verse 28. And so the father comes out to him. In fact, the servants seem to be more in, in this family than the son. The servants know what's happening. The servants know to celebrate, but not this son. Why? He doesn't know his father. Verse 31. Son, you're always with me, and all that is mine is yours. I wonder if he doesn't know the riches of his father. Not the material riches alone. Not money, but merciful riches of his father. Not coin, but character. The essence of relationship. Relationship, you know it. It's not about stuff. The possessions and deep down, we all know it when it's taken away. Even in the pain of death. We know relationship is about people. More precisely, it's about others' good ahead of one's own. But this older son can't see past himself, and he's on track to die without mercy, which in Hebrews 10, verse 28, is a terrible thing. Friends, if this is you, presuming to know God, but actually, you don't really know him as your father. Could tonight be the night you repent? If like this son, who's so near yet so far, maybe you've grown up knowing about God, like we heard Marley share from that book review, knowing things about God from a young age, through church, maybe, maybe parents, maybe even parents or family in ministry. All your life you've heard but you've never known him as rich in mercy. <laughs> because that's the context, remember? Jesus is teaching to people, be evil sinners, but don't neglect the Father's offer of mercy. 
doesn't depend on your will or exertion or effort, only his mercy. Now, the parable ends on an interesting note, verse 32. Verse 32. And this is where different translations might be interesting for us if we've got an ESV in the room and an NIV 11 in the room. So, I'll read from an ESV, verse 32. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this, your brother was dead and is alive. Now, I don't have it with me. Does anyone have an NIV 11 with them? Yes, James Squire, you're the first I've seen. Could you read verse 32 for us, please? But we had to celebrate and be glad, or it was fitting to celebrate and be glad. Can you see the difference? Which is best? There it is, verse 32. Is it best read, fitting to celebrate, ESV, or we had to celebrate? There's a discussion question. It's only one, not four. So have 30 seconds of my system. Five seconds. <laughs> Fitting or had to? Is it an appropriate or a necessity? Hands up. Fitting. Hands up. We had to. Oofed. I think the had to's have it. Now, sometimes it's a useful exercise to have some different good translations of the Bible with us. So these are two good ones we, um, amongst others. Some might have the Holman or other translations. It could be either. Does it make a difference? Probably not a great one. We're seeing some of the uh, translators' decision-making they have to make. And if you've got another language like our friends from overseas, you know all about this stuff. I don't really. A little bit. But let me show you one place where it really does make a difference. Luke chapter 9, verse 22. Luke chapter 9, verse 22. Jesus 
having been identified as the Christ, told them not to tell this to anyone. Verse 22, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. Hands up if your translation uses must. Hands up if fitting. It is must. Same as had to. Same word in this different particular context. So why is this one must? All the translators agree. Why must this happen here that Jesus is going to the cross? It's because of his set plan and foreknowledge of God. And that brings us to our second bonus parable of the night. No, I can't hear you. That's right. You can have a 10 second stretch as we prepare ourselves for the second parable of tonight. 10 second stretch. Sit down now. These boys on the stage, I don't know what's going on there. The question we're left hanging. Why in Luke 9, 22, must the Son of Man be killed? There's no discrepancy in the translation here. Point number four, an inheritance not taken by force. Bonus parable, Luke 20, verse 9. Luke chapter 20, verse 9. Some of our Bibles have subheadings. This one's known as the parable of the wicked tenants. Those subheadings aren't part of the actual text. Sometimes they're helpful, sometimes not so much. Verse 9. And he began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and led it out to tenants and went into another country for a long while. And when the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent another servant. But they also beat and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent yet a third. This one, they also, also they wounded and cast out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When they heard this, they said, surely not. But he looked directly at them and said, what then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. It's an outrageous parable. Throughout the Old Testament, God's people are described as a vineyard, Israel. The owner of the vineyard is God. 
the tenants or the farmers who are left, left in charge are Israel's leadership. And the servants the owner sends to collect the fruit are God's prophets. God sent many prophets to speak to his people Israel, just like they had Moses and the prophets of last night. These prophets said, turn back to God and live his way, not with your empty religion. But you know what they did to the prophets. They refused to listen. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? No. They did indeed beat them and treat them shamefully. And so, number five, the, owners sent, the owner sent his son. Perhaps they'll respect him. And the son is, of course, God's son, Jesus. So far in Luke's gospel, God has spoken twice from a voice from heaven saying, this is my son. And in chapter 9, verse 35, he adds, listen to him. But in this parable, they kill the son, thinking the inheritance will be theirs. Can you imagine a mistake on that scale? A mistake that affects the whole course of the world. Well, we have one. In early December 2019, forgive me Chinese friends for my pronunciation, but Dr. Li Wenlang in the mega city of Wuhan, of Hubei province in China, began to see a new virus presenting in his patients. And he told the authorities of this virus but they didn't listen. He was told by the authorities to stop spreading rumours. So he kept trying to help his patients alone by himself. More and more people got sick until the doctor himself was infected by the virus. And very soon the authorities had to close Wuhan and many other cities and airports to contain it. But it was too late. Two months later, Dr. Lee died survived by his pregnant wife and son. And death quickly spread to Iran, South Korea, Italy, if you remember the early days. Death for the world because the authorities wouldn't listen. That's a pretty bad mistake. But that's nothing compared to when God's authorities refused to listen to God. It was supposed to be blessing for the world through Israel. Remember, through Abraham, all the earth will be blessed. But they beat the prophets and killed the son. Silencing COVID is nothing compared to the silencing of the living word of God. But is this vineyard owner crazy? Sending your son? Surely he knew. They beat the first servant. They beat the second servant. They beat the third. But he knows. And even Jesus knew he must die. And so why? Luke chapter 20, verse 16. Verse 16, he will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When they heard this, Jesus' audience, they said, surely not. God will judge these tenants and their empty religion. 
But who are the others in verse 16? You see the reaction? Surely not. It's like the rich man. No to God's ways. It's outrageous. Given to others, these unclean Gentiles, without the promise, without God, and without hope in the world. And Jesus is quoting, you might have a footnote there, from Psalm 118, verse 22. The builders, again, are Israel's authorities, but they reject a stone, not as a part of the building. And that's the big mistake. The stone has become the cornerstone, the most important from which the whole building is built, built on the foundation of the prophets, with Jesus Christ being the cornerstone. Ephesians 2, verse 20. Jesus and his cross is the beginning of a new temple for others to receive God's inheritance. Others of the nations, like most of us in this room, who aren't Jewish. This is God's plan in sending his son to bring the promised blessing to the world through Abraham's offspring. This is God's plan from before the beginning of the world in his son Jesus, to bring his people home to him. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Our last of tonight. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. before the creation of the world, before anything you've done. I said before that sin hurts relationship, but God, rich in mercy, used the greatest sin of his authorities, the Jews, killing his son to include Gentiles in his inheritance. For what is God's inheritance in the parable in Luke 20? It's the vineyard as God's people. The authorities wanted to kill the son, so the inheritance, the people, would be theirs. Remember in the Gospels, all along they fear the people and want the approval of the people. The people are the inheritance. We, who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Ephesians 2, 18, 19, 20. The riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. You are that inheritance, not taken by force, but bought by the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross, by the mercy of God. God's mercy 
isn't somehow inconsistent with him being just. His character doesn't change both in mercy and in justice. He's rightly angry at sin, but his anger has been turned aside from us, propitiated and turned from, aside, on, from us onto Jesus on the cross. So to point number five, come to the Father through Jesus the Son. Where is left to go when you hit rock bottom? The lost son went home, hoping to be a hired servant. He was far gone, but his father, who saw him from far off, wouldn't hear it because of his rich mercy. And friends, there's nothing hidden from God's sight. He knows you. Before him, all hearts are open. All desires known. From him, no secrets are hidden. He knows your sin that rejects him, tells him no. And yet he sent his son to die to bring you home to him. When we were far off, he met us in his son and brought us home. When we were far off, he met us in his son and brought us home. Will you trust Jesus as your only plea to God? In the quietness of your own room? Maybe not this room, but your bedroom somewhere else. In the quietness of the shame of sin, will you receive God's mercy? Where did we start? You can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family. And thank God for that. Because without God first having predestined us, choosing us, adopting us through Jesus, none of us would call him Father or have any before we've done anything good or bad, he chose us in his son. So you've heard of the riches of his mercy. Last night it was listen. Tonight, will you trust him? Or will you remain so near and yet so far? Max and Jess said, there's an invitation tonight an invitation to actually turn to God, the Father, through Jesus the Son. We have a prayer, in fact. And I think you know us. We are not trying to be manipulative in any way. So I'm going to read the prayer just so that you can hear what it says. And I hope there's nothing new in it from what we've heard tonight and over these two days. And then in a moment, I'm going to pray it slowly so that you can make it your own prayer. But what it says is, Father in heaven, I've sinned against you. I'm not worthy to be called your child. I deserve your judgment. Thank you that when I was far off, you met me in your son's death and brought me home. Forgive me. Help me trust and follow Jesus as Lord from this day. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I'll invite us all to bow our heads. I'll pray it line by line. You can echo it in your heart to God and make it your prayer to him. 
Father in heaven, I have sinned against you. I'm not worthy to be your child. I deserve your judgment. Thank you that when I was far off, you met me in your son's death and brought me home. Forgive me. Help me trust and follow Jesus as Lord from this day forth. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's wonderful if you've prayed that and meant it for the first time. Last night, Max interviewed me and I shared that when I prayed that for the first time, my friend encouraged me to tell someone, and you know the rest, sister. I love her. I encourage you to tell someone. It could be a trusted friend, it could be one of the staff, and Jess and Max are gonna share some details. If you would like to speak to one of the staff, you could even speak to me. But uh, we do, want and long for each one of you to know Christ and to know God as your Father. So do let us know if that's you and let's keep encouraging you.